The scripture reading is from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Did any of you ever see that old movie, the Steven Spielberg movie, Jaws? How many of you have seen Jaws? All right, for those who haven't, um, the movie is set in a small beach town on Long Island. And one summer, they've been having a lot of shark attacks. They realize that they have a killer shark in their waters. So these three men from the town, they go out in a fishing boat to catch this shark. And as they go out, they know it's going to be a big fish. I mean, there have been sightings. They're expecting something big, but they have no idea. I don't know if you remember the scene. The guy's throwing chum out of the boat, and the, and the shark breaks the surface of the water. And it is far bigger than anything they ever thought was possible. It's just colossal, this gigantic um, beast. And so that's the moment in the movie when one guy in the boat says to the other guy, well, it's probably the most famous line in the movie. Remember, did anyone remember? What did he say? What did he say? Yeah, he says, we're going to need a bigger boat. Well, um, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is kind of a bigger boat moment in the life of the early church. This is, this is one of those moments when the early Christians, they realized that there were two things about their God that were far bigger than anything they ever imagined. Just 
far bigger. And before I tell you those two things, let me recap the story for you. So um, the Apostle Peter was praying one day in a house in a place called Joppa. And as he was praying, he had this vision. And in the vision, a, a sheet, he sees a sheet being lowered down from the sky. He looks into the sheet, and there's all kinds of little animals running around in there. And then he hears a, a, a voice that says to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And it, and, and it just seems like a strange thing for the Lord to tell him to do because Peter was Jewish, all right? All, in fact, all the early Christians were Jewish. And uh, what was in the sheet, the animals that were there, these were not kosher animals. It was like little nasty you know, reptiles and rodents and things like this, the kind of things that, a, you know, a good Jewish boy like Peter would never eat. So he says to the Lord, he says, no, Lord, I will not eat this. I never eat impure food. And the voice says to him, Peter, if I say that something is pure, don't you dare say that it's impure. What a weird vision, right? And then the sheet goes back up to heaven. It happened to him three times in a row. And he's thinking, what, what could this possibly mean? As he's thinking about the vision, he hears a knock on the door. And the Holy Spirit whispers to him, Peter, there are three men at the door. Don't be afraid to go with these men where they invite you. And he's probably thinking, why, why would I be afraid to go with someone? And he goes down to the door and he realizes why. These are not his kind of people. These are Gentiles. These are, these are, uh, these are um, pagans, heathens, the kind of people that when he was a little boy, his mama warned him, don't hang out with these kind of people, right? That's the kind of people. And these Gentile men, they, they say to him, listen, uh, are you Simon Peter? He says, yes, I am. He said, listen, you don't know us, but we work for this, this uh, officer in the Roman army. Uh, his name is Cornelius. He had a vision. An angel appeared to him, said, send for this man named Simon Peter. Bring him to your house. He has a message for you. And, and through this message, you and your household and your friends can, can be saved. And so um, Peter went with these men. Goes to this Gentile house. He's, he's, he's never been to a place like this before. He's never been with people like this before. He walks into Cornelius's house, and the place is packed, wall-to-wall -wall pagans. Everywhere you look, heathens packing the, the, the place out. And Peter stands up, and he begins to tell them about Jesus. And before Peter could even finish his sermon, boom, the Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles. And, and, and just like had happened to the Jewish Christians in, in, in Acts chapter 2, they begin to praise God and speak in tongues. And Peter realizes they, they're becoming Christians just like us. And so he baptizes them. They join the church. That's what happened. And then Peter, he, go, he, goes, back to his, he goes back to his Jewish Christian friends in Jerusalem, and they are very upset with him. They're very upset because they have heard that he, their apostle, has gone into a Gentile home. You're not supposed to do that. And he's been eating non-kosher food. You're not supposed to do that. And so Peter explains to them this whole story of what's happened. And, and, and when, they, when they hear what God had done for those Gentiles, verse 18 says, they praised God. They rejoiced. Now, why did they rejoice? They rejoiced because they realized there were two things about their God that were so much bigger and greater than they ever imagined. And, and one of those two things is, is God's 
plans. They realized that the plan of God for his church, the plan of God for this world, was so much greater than, than they anticipated. Now, in, in the book of Acts, some of you have read the book of Acts. At the very beginning of that book, Acts chapter 1, it, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, he said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus said to them, through you, through the message of the gospel, we're going to reach the nations of the world. Now, th this, this, this idea of reaching the nations of the world for, for God, this was not, um, in, in a certain sense, this was not an entirely new idea. Uh, ever since the time of Abraham, Abraham is the father of the, of the Jewish people, ever since thousands of years before the time of Abraham, um, God had promised that through his people, the nations of the world would be impacted by his truth. You, maybe you know the story. Genesis chapter 12, God calls this man Abraham, and God made this promise. God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then God said to Abraham, and all the peoples, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. In other words, Abraham, through you, the people who descend from you the Messiah who comes through you, my blessing will reach all the nations of the world. So this, this thought of reaching the nations for God was not entirely a new idea. And if you've read the, the Old Testament, you may know that in the Old Testament, it, it kind of happened. I mean, when you read through the Old Testament, every Every once in a while, it's like every hundred years or so, you read of a Gentile actually, you know, converting and, and joining the, the covenant people of God. It happened with Rahab, and then a couple hundred, later, hundred years later, it happens with Ruth, and then a few hundred years later, it happens with this guy Naaman the Syrian. So every, it had been happening every once in a, once in a while, a Gentile would kind of trickle into God's covenant. So when Jesus said that they would reach the nations... I wonder if they thought that's what he had in mind, just more of the same kind of stuff we've been seeing every now and then. Somebody from the nations will, will come to God. In other words, I wonder, if, I wonder if when the disciples heard Jesus say, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, I wonder if they felt the same way I feel whenever I watch that cartoon, Pinky and the Brain. You ever see Pinky and the brain. All right, Pinky and the brain. Pinky, uh, Pinky brain. These these two little um, lab mice. All right, and every episode of Pinky and the Brain begins exactly the same way. The two little lab mice, they escape from the lab, they go out into the evening, and, and Pinky says to his friend, he says, what do you want to do tonight, Brain? And Brain says, same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. And you know... You're not going to take over the world. Pinky and the brain never take over the world. That's the same thing they say every night. It's not something they actually do. It's not something that actually happens. It's just something they say. So I wonder if the disciples, when they heard Jesus say, you, you, will, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, I, I wonder if they thought, eh, we've heard that before. 
That's, that's, that's just something we say. That's not something that actually happens. We've been hearing that since the time of Abraham. Yeah, little by little, one or two people might come, might come to God, but it's, it's, it's not really going to take place. And then Peter walks into this home filled with heathens. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They, they, they come to Christ and the church says, we're going to need a bigger boat, right? God is, God is doing something far bigger right now than we ever even imagined. They just realized Jesus wasn't kidding when he talked about the Holy Spirit having powers. Like They just realized God's plans for his church, God's plans for this world are so much better bigger than, they, than, than we ever realized. They, just, they, they, they realized that God was up to something big. And, and listen, ACC, you know how important it is for us to know that? That God in this world is doing something, just something way beyond what we can imagine. I, I loved earlier in the service, we heard, we, read, we heard Psalm 67 for us read. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's actually an ancient Hebrew prayer. And in this prayer, they were praying for God to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. All the nations of the earth blessed through you. And so in that prayer, they say, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that, Lord, your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Can you imagine if that's just like the prayer of your heart? God, would you reach the nations? May they know your joy. That's what they're praying in Psalm 67. And listen, did you know what we dis discover here in Acts chapter 11? That God is answering that prayer. Through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, God is right now bringing the nations into his covenant. It's happening now. I mean, Peter would freak out to see most of us here. We have one or two Jewish people, but he, most of us, he'd say, why, why is a guy like David Ellis here in the church of Jesus Christ? He'd, he'd be, this is amazing that God is reaching all of us, and all over the world this is happening. One Christian author named Rebecca McLaughlin has written this. Today, Christianity is the largest and mo most diverse belief system in the world, with roughly this, the equal number of Christians in Europe, North America, South America, and Africa, and with a rapidly growing church in China that is expected to include half of China's population by the year 2060. Did you, did you know that right now the New Testament has been translated into 1,551 languages, according to Google, all right? That, that means just, just let that sink in. Right now, this morning, the name of Jesus is being praised in over 1,500 languages. I didn't even know there were that many languages, but all over the world, God is reaching people through the Holy Spirit. This promise that God made to Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Listen, right now, through the Messiah who descended from Abraham. That's taking place. So that, that's what's going on in Acts 11. They're just realizing, wow, the plans of God so much bigger than we ever anticipated. So his plans are bigger. The second thing they're discovering is that his grace, 
His grace is bigger. His grace, His grace is so much greater. Now, what's, what was surprising about the conversion of these Gentiles is not just the fact that they were converted. It's, it's, uh, it's the way they were converted. And you can read about this. Actually, the whole story spans chapter 10 and chapter 11 of, of, of Acts. And, and when you read it all together, you realize that the Holy Spirit came on these heathens without them first doing anything to change their lives. They don't do anything. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 10, Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. He never got to give an altar call. He never told them to pray the sinner's prayer. They never got to walk the aisle. They never did anything. They never did anything at all to change. And, and, and so when the Holy Spirit came on these Gentiles, they were still Gentiles. Right? They were still uncircumcised. They still ate kosher food. And, and you, listen, you find out later in the New Testament that those things didn't really matter to God. But listen, I can only imagine there were things about their lives that were wrong that did matter to God. I wonder if any of those people in, in uh, Cornelius' home, I wonder if any of them had bad habits that they couldn't break. I, I wonder if any of them struggled with addictions. I wonder if any of them from time to time lost control of their temper and, and hurt people they love with their anger. I, I wonder if any of those people who heard Peter preach, I wonder if any of them had areas of sexual brokenness in their lives or if, if maybe they had patterns of relating to other people that were dysfunctional. I wonder if any of them were people who, who didn't always tell the truth. And here's the reason I wonder that about them. Because isn't, I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that the way we are? Why would we expect them to be any different than, than, than us? They, they were just like us. So if those people who heard Peter preach, if they were anything at all like us, I can only imagine that these were men and women, boys and girls, who, listen, who fell short of God's standards, who fell short of God's glory in countless ways. And yet here's what's amazing about God's grace. The Holy Spirit was given to them before they even had a chance to do anything to fix their lives before they had a chance to do anything. It, it, verse 18 says, when the Christians in Jerusalem heard about this, it says they praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The, the, the word that's translated granted there, in this context, it means to bestow as a gift. And this is so... This is fascinating. It's counterintuitive. This is saying that repentance was given to them as a gift. It was granted to them. And that just seems like the opposite of the way we normally think. We, we tend to think that, that our acts of repentance, that's what moves God to give us His grace. But this is saying, no, that the free gift of God's grace is what moved them to repent. The repentance came later, but the grace came first. The grace, before they had done anything at all, anything at all to fix their lives, God's grace was given to them. Now, what is, what is grace? Um, one theologian named Louis Burkhoff has defined it this way. He says, grace, grace is the free bestowal of kindness. Grace is the free gift of kindness on one who has no claim to it. 
Another uh, Christian scholar named David Garland said, grace is not something that one earns or gets. It's something that one can only receive. And another Bible scholar, William Hendrickson, said, God's grace is his active favor bestowing the greatest gifts on those who have deserved the greatest punishment. That's, that's God's grace. And so when these early Christians, when they, when they learned that the Holy Spirit had been given to these Gentiles without them doing anything at all to change their life, they just realized, whoa, we knew God's grace is good, but it's far bigger than anything we could have imagined. Now, the thing that we'll want to know and, I, and the thing that we will want to rejoice in today is the fact that God's grace has not changed. Did you know that? God's grace has not changed. In the last 2,000 years, it's, God's grace is still offered to the undeserving. It's, it's still given completely for free. It, it's still bestowed upon people who haven't yet fixed their own lives or done anything to change. It, and it's still at work in this world through Jesus Christ. And have you received that grace? That's the gift of God to us in Christ. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I know sometimes that sounds too good to be true, right? Sometimes people get nervous. The pastor talks about God's, God just gives his grace. Even if you haven't even fixed your life. Like, don't, pastor, don't say that. I want my kid to fix her life. I want, I want my husband to fix his life. No, listen, we get nervous. It sounds too good to be true. In fact, in fact sometimes people really struggle to believe that God's, God's grace could actually be that free, that sovereign, that unconditional, that undeserved. They, they said there's got to be something that we do, some element of our goodness that somehow elicits that, that reaction from God. One, there was one person who really, really struggled um, to grasp the immensity of God's grace. And it was this, uh, this 16th century um, Dutch scholar. His name was Desiderius Erasmus. And Erasmus, his, uh, his position was basically, God, yeah, God is good and he's gracious, but his grace can't be that good. It can't be, it can't be that sovereign. It can't be that free. There's, it, has, it somehow must be contingent on some element of goodness in us. And uh, the reformer, Martin Luther, he wrote to Erasmus. And here's what he said. He said, Erasmus, your thoughts about God are far too human. Right? You're, you, you're trying to, it's like you're trying to, you need a bigger boat, man. You need bigger, you need bigger thoughts. If you're ever going to capture a concept of God's grace, it's not going to fit into your finite human thoughts. And, 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 and that's what these disciples are discovering in, in Acts chapter 11. God's grace is so amazing. We, we sang about that um, earlier in the service. Oh, did you, did you notice the words that we sang? Here, here's what we sang. The love of God is broader than the measures of our mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our lives were just more simple, we would take him at his word and our lives would be nothing but resting in the goodness of our Lord. God's, God's grace is bigger than anything. And so what God said to Peter, he said, listen, if I, if I say something's pure, don't you dare say it's impure. 
someone has come to Christ and there's still a mess. I mean, God will deal with the mess. He works in us over time. Thank God for that. But if someone comes to Christ and they've still got a lot of just embarrassing, messy things about their life, God has said they're pure. So church, we don't dare say they're not pure. Don't do that to your brothers and sisters. And can you hear me? Please don't do that to yourself. Have you, trust, have you trusted in Christ? You, I, I bet some of you still have some problems in your life. Am I wrong about that? We're all works in project and in process, right? But you've trusted in Christ and God has said you're pure. You're forgiven. You're accepted. Don't contradict God. Don't, don't say that you're not. He has done that for you. His grace is so amazing. In, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul wrote this. He said, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. So do you think Christ loves you? Do you? Listen, you have no idea. You have no idea. He loves you more. He loves you more. He loves you more. So this, this is what they're realizing. This is why they praise. This is why they rejoice. This is why we should rejoice when we come to the table today. First, because God's plans are far bigger than we've ever, we've ever can imagine. There are tables like this all over the world. There, there, there are people like us all over the world worshiping God in all kinds of different ways, different languages, and all praising Him. God is at work in this world. His plans are bigger, and listen, His grace is bigger. How, 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 how deep is God's grace? How deep is God's grace? deeper than your deepest sin, right? How, how high is his love? Higher, higher than your, 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 your greatest dreams. How, how broad is his love? It, it's bigger than any problem or failure in your life. You'll never, ever, ever, you'll never comprehend the greatness of his love for you in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, would you grant us Grant us, give to us through the Holy Spirit today. Give us joy, give us hope, give us faith, give us confidence in your love. Would you grant these gifts to us today through the Spirit? We don't deserve any of them, but we receive them by faith in Jesus because you are our God of grace and we love you. Amen.